Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Battle Round. I'm Paul Valley, your host, and joining me as always is Zach Goodman, my co-host. Zach, how are you this morning? I am great. Uh, another cold day out there. It's really nice. Uh, you know what? You know what? It's just always cold now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk about it every show yeah, from now on. It's just, it's just always cold, and I'm always miserable. Nah, not I, here. It's fantastic. Not here. I, I can't stand it. But that's all right. That's all right. Because you know what? It's already the first week of December. Next thing you know, it's going to be February. The Orioles are going to be reporting to spring training. Then the next thing you know, it'll be opening day, and we'll be right back to warm weather. I can't wait, but I'm going to have to. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Battle Round today. As always, we're coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And... Guys, it's been a bit of a whirlwind morning for me. I got halfway here and realized I left my cell phone on my bedside table, and I tried to turn around to go back to get it and realized I would not be back here till after 10. There's no way Zach could start the show because he doesn't know how to run the soundboard or the computer. Um, so I kind of just came here, and on a wing and a prayer, we got everything ready to go, and we're, we're ready to go. I, I feel like I forgot something. Totally feel like I'm forgetting something, but... We're gonna we're gonna roll with it, and this show should be good. We have some great guests today. We have Stan the Fan Charles, as always. We're gonna have Steve Molesky from Mass and Sports at uh, ten fifty, and then at eleven thirty-five, we have Maria Torres, who's the beat writer for the Angels for the LA Times. He's gonna talk to us about that Jose Iglesias trade. So, but before that, we do have some things that we want to talk about, right, Zach? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, the non-tender and tender deadline was this week for guys that are going into arbitration. So the Orioles made some interesting, you know, Sanchez, Armstrong, Valleca, and Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander. So we talked about this, you know, for a few weeks now, and we kind of saw the role. He was non-tendered. You know, just not a guy who brings a profile we thought the Orioles would take going forward. So we predicted that one, and we pretty much got you know, everything right as far as the guys they did tender. They obviously have not agreed to a contract yet with Santander or Trey Mancini, but they will be doing those soon. And uh, the, the tender deadline's a little bit weird. There are some weird rules that are written into the CBA and arbitration, and it's all a little bit confusing. But essentially, they kept six of the seven guys, and, you know, it's, it's going to be some good names going down the road. Well, absolutely. And so they kept Pedro Severino. They agreed to a one-year $1.825 million contract with him. Yomar Sanchez, one-year $1 million. Um, Sean Armstrong, one-year $825,000. That's a key piece to that Orioles bullpen that was a top-ten unit in the majors this past season. And then Pat Vileka, one-year $875,000 if he's in the majors, $300,000 if he's in the minors. Um, so it's up to Pat Vileka to make a little more coin there. Uh, that's up to how he plays. Now, you mentioned that they that they basically kept six of the seven guys. Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander were tender contracts. Those numbers haven't been made public yet. Um, Mancini's due a raise to $4.8 million. Uh, I imagine the Orioles will offer him pretty pretty darn close to that. Santander's due a raise to anywhere from $1.7 to $3 million. Um, he'll probably, they'll probably meet somewhere in the middle right there. Th- these things... These things rarely go to arbitration, and I think aside from Brad Burgesson, um, the Orioles have won every one since, like, in, like, the Peter Angelos era. So uh, they usually don't go to a hearing, and they'll probably agree. They'll exchange numbers and meet somewhere in the middle. That's usually how it goes. Now, you mentioned that they non-tendered Hans Herr Alberto. That makes him a free agent. Michael Elias did say, however, that they can envision bringing Alberto back at a cheaper price if he doesn't find any other suitors. And, and, and it's strange, man, because based on his numbers, you would think that he would find a home. 
You would think he would hit, find the home. He hit 305 in 2019, 283 last year. He's hit 375 versus left-handed pitching the last two years. There's got to be a spot somewhere for this guy. But doesn't have a ton of power, doesn't play great defense. He's a great clubhouse guy, but people outside of Baltimore may not know that as well as Baltimore does. So I think that there's a good chance that Hanser Alberto will be back with the Orioles in a utility role. I don't know that he's going to be an everyday player now that they have Sanchez, unless they want to let him play shortstop, but I don't see that. Um, and speaking of which, there's a whole shortstop now because they traded Jose Iglesias to the uh, Los Angeles. I keep wanting to call them the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It's just the Los Angeles Angels. The Orioles traded Hanser Alberto, uh, not Hanser Alberto, Jose Iglesias to the Angels to leave a hole at shortstop. And they got back a couple of prospects. They got back Gene Pinto. It's either Gene or Jean Pinto. There's not a ton of information on this guy. Uh, did strike out 19 batters in 12 innings in the Dominican Summer League. Um, and then they also got back Garrett Stallings, who's, who's a guy uh, who the Orioles had their eye on in the 2019 draft. What do you have for me on these two guys, Zach? Yeah, so Mike Elias, obviously he's in the mode right now of talent accumulation, and he's looking at you know finding talent in any way it is. But I also think he really wants to find these international guys and just catch up on the international signings since the Orioles didn't really make any uh, prior to 2019. So as far as Garrett Stallings goes, right-handed pitcher, he's 23 years old. He was a fifth-rounder out of Tennessee in 2019. Another guy that Mike Elias was probably looking at and they just didn't get the draft. Uh, he is, as far as MLB pipeline grades him, he has a 50 fastball, a 50 curve, a 55 slider, a 55 changeup, 55 control, and a 45 overall grade. And he is now the 26th best prospect in the Orioles system. And what is what is the scale so that people understand? So 50, 55, 45. So it's a 20 to 80 scale, and you look at 50 as about the the average, you know, uh, tool. And you look at 60 is an above average tool, 70 is well above average, and then 80 is about as high as you can get. So he has mostly average tools, but there are some pitches that are slightly above average. Um, I've heard his changeup is not as good as MLB Pipeline grades it out to be, Um, but he does have a four-pitch makeup. He can throw them all for strikes, and he's a guy who really has control, and I think that's why the Orioles targeted this guy is because... He's a guy who really just has the ability to, to get guys out, uh, not walk a ton of guys. So maybe like an upgraded Tom Eshelman is the way you can kind of look at this profile. I think he profiles as a four or five starter uh, you know, in, in the future, but he is a few years off, obviously. Uh, as far as the scouting I've done on him, I, I think his delivery is a little unconventional for a starting pitcher. Um, it's a little bit jerky, and I think the Orioles can work with that a little bit. And this is a guy who hasn't played pro ball at all yet. So, you know, he's, he's been at the, the Angels camp over the summer, but he hasn't played any uh, affiliated ball yet. And then as far as Gene P- or John Pinto goes, he's 19 years old, another right-handed pitcher. He was a $10,000 international signing out of Venezuela. Um, this is another guy that Michael Elias wants to target because he's so young, because it's kind of a lottery ticket. You don't know what you're going to get with this guy. And it, it just factors into that talent accumulation equation that Michael Elias is following right now of just getting as much as possible. Um, he was only a $10,000 bonus, which is not very much for an international guy. That's about as low as you can go. So this is a guy who probably... The potential isn't as high as a lot of the J2 signings the Orioles have made over the past year. But, you know, another guy who went 0-1 in the DSL and had a 2.25 ERA, so solid numbers, like you said, struck out 19. So 
this is a guy we're going to know if he makes it stateside pretty soon, and if he does, we're going to know the potential is there with this guy. Absolutely, man. And you mentioned the the scale of 20 to 80. For example, Orioles' fourth-round draft pick, Kobe Mayo, um, I believe his arm grades out at a 70 yeah. or an 80 on most scales. So that, like a big-time arm right there. So it's kind of kind of shows you what a 55 and a 45 means for Garrett Stallings. Now, they got these pitchers back, and we were super excited back on November 1st when the Orioles inked. Well, actually, it was basically, it was right after we did our show on Halloween on October 31st that the Orioles inked uh, Iglesias that $3.5 million contract, and we were excited because he had a great bat last year, uh, plays great defense, but he he wasn't able to stay on the field at shortstop. He DH'd a lot uh, because of the quad injury, but we were thinking full offseason to get healthy. He comes back in. He's the Orioles starting shortstop for 130, 140 games next year, assuming they play 162, and that's a good guy who can hit at the top in the top third of your order and play give you solid defense behind your young pitching. Fast forward a month, right after the Ravens lose to the Steelers, we get wind. It's like we can't even like, get a breather. We get wind from Co- from Ken Rosenthal that the Orioles traded Glacius. Now they have a big hole at shortstop. And, A, what does this tell us about the Orioles? Because we're, we're excited, right? We're excited about this team. We're, we're seeing... Um, we're seeing Ryan Mountcastle come up. We have the potential of Adley Rutschman. We have Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman. All these young guys who are coming up. Yes, Neil Diaz might be coming up this year. And we're getting excited about this team. And we're thinking maybe, maybe they can win 70 to 75 games this year and then get over the hump in 2022. And then they trade away one of their best players. Just like they did last year with Bundy and VR. We knew that VR was coming. Not positive about Bundy. Iglesias, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw the trade coming. And who are they going to replace him with? I don't know. I mean, I think Richie Martin is a guy they do like, and I'm not really sold on him being a starting shortstop for 162 games. I don't really think that's going to be that solid. Obviously, Pat Valeka is not a guy who's going to be your starting shortstop. Uh, you know, you look at Sanchez, really can't play short. He's a second baseman and a gold glover at second base, so mm-hmm. he should stick there. They re-sign Alberto, you know, maybe, maybe get some reps at shortstop, there's, but probably not much. There's no way... There's just no way that you can, even if, I'm, I'm all for re-signing Alberto if he's a utility guy, right? Agreed. But there's no way that you can stick him out at shortstop 120 plus games and expect to win a lot of ball games. That's just, the, the defense alone is going to hurt you. There's a couple of free agents out there. Uh, there's a Danny Echevarria, who has a 979 career fielding percentage. Uh, not a great stick, but he's not, he's not going to hit 220 you know he'll hit 250 to 270 uh you have Andrelton Simmons who might be he's probably too pricey for the Orioles even though they are saving between getting rid of Nunez and Iglesias they're saving about five to six million dollars there or closer to five no about five to six million they're saving um from that which is about what I would imagine Andrelton Simmons at this stage of his career would get um Jonathan VR, former Oriole, uh, familiar with this organization. He's a free agent, did not have a great year. I think he had like 220 um, between the Blue Jays and the Marlins in 2020. Uh, then you mentioned Richie Martin, Taron Vavra, who just came over in that Michael Givens deal with the Rockies. Um, it, it's, it's hard right now on December 5th to say who's going to play shortstop the majority of the games for the Baltimore Orioles in 2020. I firmly believe, honestly, in my heart of hearts, I 100% believe it's going to be a Danny Echeverria. That guy has 
Orioles rebuild shortstop written across his forehead. To me, it's going to be that guy. I would love Andrelton Simmons. I would love Andrelton Simmons because he's at a point now in his career where he's on the, he's on the back nine. He's on the back nine. He's not going to hit for a ton of power, but he's, he hit 297 last year. He led the Angels in batting average last year. So he hit 297. The defense is there, 981 career fielding percentage. But honestly, I think he's got Yankee written across his forehead. So it's probably going to be, if, if I had to guess right now, the Orioles are going to sign a Dini Echeverria, and he'll be the starting shortstop going into spring training. Richie Martin will get a crack at the job. Um, there, there's another possibility out there. And that's Hayesong Kim, the uh, Japanese uh, infielder who's now been posted. And he, they, they look at him as maybe a five-year, $20 million contract, which would put him at about $4 million a year. And that's you know what they saved with uh, Alberto and Iglesias. You never know. I, I talked about it earlier on this show, but I think it's a possibility. I, I would really like that. They'd have to pay a little over $7 million just to talk to him, though. Right, right. There, there is a posting fee. Yeah, there, there, there's a posting fee of over $7 million just to talk to that guy. He's 25 years old, and yeah... He would he would profile as a, as a solid shortstop in this organization, but he wouldn't come and, and start from day one. He'd go to Double A, and he'd have to work his way up. And he'd probably spend a year Double A, then start the following year Triple A, and then maybe come up mid season. I think that the Orioles, I think that they think that their future shortstop is already in their system, whether it's Jordan Westberg or uh, Gunnar Henderson or Anthony Cervideo or Cervideo, however you want to say it. Um, I think they think that that guy is already in their organization. So not quite sure who it's going to be right now, but like I said, my heart of hearts says it's going to be a Danny Echevarria. And it goes right along with the Cesares, Tereses of the world that the Orioles would always sign or the Luis Hernandez or just those guys that the – or Alex Cintron. If people remember the Orioles signed Alex Cintron, I'm like, oh, great, this guy's going to play every day for him. It just goes along with, hey, we're not going to win this year, but we need somebody to put out there, so we're going to sign this guy. That's just how it, it looks to me. So, the uh, rest of the show, we already mentioned a little bit earlier, but we'll go over it again. We have Stan the Fan Charles joining us at 1020. Uh, Masson's Steve Molesky at 1050. Uh, we're going to do Orioles banter. We have the best of the rest coming up at 1120. Uh, best of the rest, Joe Trezza put out an article uh, on MLB.com about the Orioles' top five seasons by a position player. And then he had some honorable mentions. So, Zach and I went and we came up with our own five best of the rest aside from the honorable mentions that uh that joe put in there so we're going to do that at 11 20 and then we have maria torres who's the angels beat writer for the la times she's joining the program at 11 35 uh but right now craig calcaterra who i have argued with on twitter in the past about the orioles he was he ended up being right about that argument um basically i was telling him how good the orioles were and he was telling me how bad they were on opening day 2018 right after the adam jones walk-off i remember arguing with him while i was standing in line at walmart on twitter and the orioles won 48 games that year so he was right i'm sorry 47 was it yeah they won 47 or 48 47 yeah yeah they won 47 games that year so he was right i was wrong but now he's coming after the orioles again and zach you have some uh some words 
for Craig Calcaterra. Yeah, so Craig Calcaterra wrote about Mike Elias in his daily newsletter that comes out every morning, and he said that Mike Elias should at least try to avoid saying that he has no interest in winning or spending any money at all and being you know as cheap as possible, which he's, which he's saying Elias is, and he's calling him a Houston Astros-trained ex-Cubot. So, you know, lots of, lots of accusations here, and he's calling uh, baseball a stupid sport because of this. And, you know, it, it doesn't really make much sense to me that people are complaining about the strategy that Mike Elias has used so far, because this is exactly what he said he was going to do in 2018 when he came in. He said, look, we're going to try to build up a, a sustainable talent pipeline. We're not going to go out and sign free agents. And this is going to be a long and hard process that, you know, we're going to have to go through. He said, you know, it, it, we're going to have to trade guys and accumulate as much talent as possible. It's not going to happen overnight. And now with the trade of Iglesias and, and the non-tender of Alberto, it looks like Mike Elias is being cheap or Mike Elias doesn't want to win. But in reality, this is all exactly what the plan is. This is all just accumulating more talent and getting that talent pipeline that he's promised. And I don't think there's anything you can go after Mike Elias for. I think this is exactly what he said he was going to do. Um, you know, even if even if Elias went out there and spent money, even if he signed a real Muto or one of the higher you know touted uh, free agents. This still wouldn't be a winning team. It, it takes time. It's a sustainable pipeline you have to build up, and there's no reason to attack Michael Elias for that. He's done his job. Well, and certainly the Orioles are not two marquee free agents away. They're not George Springer and JT right. Realmuto away from being a, a playoff contender. That makes them maybe a 68-70 win team. It's, it, it's, it's ridiculous when people say that Elias is being cheap, that the Orioles are being cheap, and that this is bad for baseball. Michael has just traded a 31-year-old shortstop who spent most of 2020 on the injured list for a top 30 prospect who is number 21 in the Angels organization. He's number 26 in the Orioles organization. He's taken this team from not ranked from ranked in the bottom third of baseball's farm systems prior to 20, 2019 to ranked eighth in most publications right now. This is working. It's absolutely working, and you saw it start to bear fruit in 2020. You're going to see it bear more fruit in 2021 with, when all these other prospects get up here. And then 2022, you can maybe start to take the lid off of this. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Craig Calcaterra comes out and says that Mike Elias is being cheap and not spending money and telling his, his fan base he's not spending money. It's absolutely absurd. Stan, I want to get your take on this. We have Stan Charles on the line right now. How do you feel about that? Uh, agree with both of you guys, but who was it that said the Orioles were being cheap? Uh, it was Craig Calcaterra. Um, oh, okay. He, Not he, quite he, sure he, who that is. So he used to, uh, work, he used to but, work for NBC, and now he puts out uh, his own newsletter through his own uh, website. Okay, good for him. Um, listen, I, I, I won't argue or quibble with the word cheap. The Orioles are in an austerity program right now, and if he hasn't looked around the world of baseball, the entire world of Major League Baseball is in an austerity program right now. And there are going to be outliers like the Kansas City Royals uh, splurging a little bit to sign Mike Miner to a two-year deal. But uh, you look around the entire sport right now, everybody is trying to shave costs right now. And I'll tell you what doesn't get talked about too much, and Zach, you were 100% correct when you said this is what Michael Elias said he was going to do. Uh, there are no surprises here. He is doing it. But what doesn't get talked about is what's the signing bonus that Garrett Stallings got? The Orioles don't have to pay that signing bonus. 
and all these young players are getting, even the Dominicans, those guys got a hundred grand, you know, to sign. And the Orioles are getting them for free, so to speak, in terms of the cash outlay. And I think Michael Elias is doing a terrific job. The only thing I'll quibble with is, uh, and, uh, and the last couple of weeks we've talked about it. If I could have, if I knew I was going to save the, 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 uh, couple million dollars on Iglesias, I, I think I'm going to spend another three, four hundred thousand dollars that they spent on Severino and try to get the defensive catcher that I think really could help this pitching staff. Not help them to the point that the Orioles are going to be a contender, but help in the development process right now. Adlai Rutschman is not going to be here this year. If he, if minor league baseball is back in some semblance of normalcy, you could see Adlai Rutschman make a September call up or cameo. But really, you're looking at 2022 before he's ready. And I think a season with a veteran catcher that really is defensive-minded would have helped this pitching staff grow. Well, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, Stan, that I'm, I'm glad to see Severino back because I like his bat and I like um, that he has familiar, familiarity with the Orioles pitching staff, but that's about it. His defensive shortcomings are glaring. Same with Chance Sisko, and that's basically who your who your tandem is now, a catcher for the Orioles in 2021. And that doesn't mean that they won't go out and sign another veteran catcher and give him an opportunity to compete for a job in spring training, but it basically says, hey, Severino's our guy. He would have been the all-star starting catcher, but he had 152 with no home runs and no RBIs in September. Uh, kind of... Uh, I wasn't surprised to see him re-sign, but I also wouldn't have been surprised if they had not if they had non-tendered him. You're, you're talking about Iglesias. No, I'm, I'm talking or Severino. about Sev, Severino. Severino. Severino, I thought they were going to non-tender. Uh, and there's no question Severino is going to have a job in the major leagues, whether it's for the million eight plus that the Orioles are paying him, or whether it was a million two somewhere, uh, somebody was able to shave a few bucks off. But again... Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a, the, the entire package is a major league baseball player there. I just don't like either catcher to help this pitching staff. And I think it's, a, again, not talking about Dean Kramer and, and, um, um, At, Atkins, uh, who am I thinking of? The left hander, um, Keegan Aiken. Keegan Aiken. Uh, I don't know why his name just went out of my head. Yeah, but I'm not talking about those guys both winning 15, 16 games at the major leagues in 2021, but I'm talking about making them better, more conscious-minded pitchers at the major league level now. I think our catchers don't help at all. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you, and I would love to see the Orioles bring in a guy like Mike Zanino, but again, I think that's a guy who probably goes to a contender that needs a solid catcher that's not looking for a ton of offense. Now, uh, the Orioles, we did mention that they traded Jose Iglesias, at least a big hole, Stan, at shortstop. What is their plan, and were you surprised to see Iglesias get traded? I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was at the deadline. I was surprised to see it happen before they even reached the new year. Yeah, I, first of all, I think the new GM of the Angels made himself a really shrewd deal because they were losing a- Andrelton uh, uh, Simmons, uh, and he needed to replace him, and he needed to replace him. When you have Mike Trout, you still have the Pujols contract, and you've got uh, Anthony Rendon, 
and you don't have any pitching, you're you're looking to plug, you know, inexpensively. And for the Angels, three point one million dollars for one year is very inexpensive to plug a, a hole. Uh, and I think they got a real good player. I'm not. I'm surprised that it came about this way. I'm not shocked that the Orioles traded Jose Iglesias because, as Zach said, man, it's to accumulate more and more. Uh, you know, and I do like Elias pointing and nodding and at how you just keep getting more and more pitching. Um, it's it's a little year three when you take into account the Orioles weren't very good in eighteen. After they started out twenty-two and ten, uh, they were in seventy-five or something like that. Um, and then in nineteen, of course, the wheels totally came off the cart. And in twenty, we see the direction they're heading in. Now, as far as the shortstop, I've never heard that Yomer Sanchez can play any shortstop. So game plan. Don't forget, they got a guy that they did use a number one rule five pick on uh, two years ago, Richie Martin. Um, world's worst thing to see Richie Martin come back up to the major leagues and see if some of the improvement that was talked about and wouldn't, uh, you know, carry on. Maybe he's a little bit bigger and stronger now. I think the defensive package, while I don't think he's a great adequate uh, major league shortstop, maybe a little bit even above adequate shortstop overall. His arm strength isn't what I'd really like, but, uh, I think um, I'm reading Rock's column this morning, waiting for your call. And he mentions the name of Addison Russell, uh, who was playing in Korea. So the luster is off of Addison Russell. But Addison Russell is not going to have many huge offers. So maybe others to Addison Russell gets a deal done on a one-year contract, and you have him and Martin and let the let the fight begin. I like the idea of the player, Addison Russell. It's just with that domestic violence behind uh, on on his resume right now, just his character off from him a little bit. I'm not I'm not thrilled with it. I don't know all the details on it, but um, you know, I would like to. Th- I, I always believe people can can evolve and get better, and I'd have to know more about the case. But again. Um, They'll, they'll find somebody uh, that he's platooning with, uh, you know, look, maybe in their minds, and again, I don't know, I, I'm not privy to sitting in on any meetings with the Orioles and know exactly what their budget is. Would they be a team with no other shortstop other than Richie Martin in the organization that's at the near, at or near the major league level? Would they be interested in the kid from Korea, Kim? who I heard was like a $3 million bid. It's possible, but uh, I would think they would be looking more for somebody in the million-dollar range, you know, that uh, might have an upside. They will have some issues if they would sign an Addison Russell, but I could see that coming about. Yeah, Addison Russell was playing in the KBO this year, and he hit 254 with two home runs, 31 RBI. So not a bad season, but, yeah. you know. Th- I would mean, love to know more about how he played defensively uh, offensively, he never turned out to be the player he was, but at one time he was a pretty fair, you know. Yeah, Stan, you, me- you mentioned the Rule 5 before with Richie Martin, obviously. Is yep. there any chance the Orioles could look at taking another shortstop in the Rule 5 in 2020? It's a possibility, and that will probably take place 
Am I right? Next week? This yeah, coming week? It is next they week. may have their eyes on somebody. There are a lot of non-tenders out there. It seems to go from Semyon, you know, D.D. Gregorius. There's one other guy that's of, of real note. And then it draw, it's one other name, again, I think you might be able to get for a million four, million five, might be Freddie Galvis, uh, who offensively is just a couple years in 16 or 18 home runs. So that's a possibility on a one-year deal, too. Yeah, and uh, Andrelton Simmons, who, the, who Iglesias just replaced, he's a free agent. That, that's the third guy I was thinking of. He's going to command too much money. I, yeah. I agree. I think he's yep. going to command too much money. You mentioned Hayesong Kim. Uh, the Orioles would have to pay over $7 million just to, just to talk to him. Um, yeah, uh, forget that. That's a scratch. Yeah. yeah. I so, forgot about the posting fee. Yeah, so that's... Um, I think uh, Galvez... I think Galvez is a switch hitter. Um, I think Galvez is as good an option as there is out there because you got him, you know, he can bat against the right-handed pitching, and you get Richie Martin, and he's playing against left-handers, you know, and you get him some more playing time. Yeah, Galvez is a uh, 247 career hitter. Uh, more so, I'm, I'm worried about – I'm focused on his defense and uh, in nine seasons at shortstop he has a 984 career fielding percentage which is just a tick below Iglesias and actually better than Danny Echeverria and Andrelton Simmons so that's a guy who can pick it over there at shortstop that would be a pretty solid signing you are correct he does he does switch hit so yeah he's a switch hitter and the year I'm talking about was 2000 2019 he had a pretty great season yeah, nineteen. He had twenty-three home runs. Yeah, and he had twenty. He had twenty in twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, yeah. so that, that's that's a guy that wasn't even on my radar, but that's a, that could be a good signing. And he's getting up there. You know, he's going to be thirty-one this year. I mean, look, which is, here's the here's the difference. He, I'm looking at on base percentage. His career on base percentage is two ninety-one. If you look at a Danny Echeverria, which I don't have in front of me, that's going to be about the about what he is. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure Echeverria is a better defensive catch, uh, shortstop, but this is a guy who's twice in the big leagues hit over 20 home runs in a season. You know, you go back to 2016, he had 26 doubles, 20 homers, ERBIs. This guy's not a total. St- now, his one base percentage that year was 274. I mean, that's, that's Echeverria territory, you know. Yeah, I was looking at some of the analytical numbers for Freddie Galvis, some of the peripherals, as they call them, on Baseball Savant. And he's only in the 20th percentile of exit velocity, only in the 8th percentile of hard hit percentage. So some of the the offensive stats aren't that good. And then outs above average, one of the top analytical defensive stats, he's only in the 11th percentile of that. So maybe, maybe, you know, with the Orioles being such an analytically driven franchise, maybe not looking at a guy like this, but if they can get him cheap enough, certainly will target at him. One thing to keep in mind is they can get him cheap, I'm sure, because the numbers aren't very good, and I'd love to dig down a little bit on those numbers, and I can't while I'm on the air here right now, but dig down and and wonder what he is just as a left-handed hitter, and maybe think about that in terms of him and Martin really sharing some time. Well, yeah, I think we can probably get Zach to look up the splits. If you can go to Baseball Reference, he can look up the splits of how he looks against right-handed pitching. Uh, while Zach's doing that, the Orioles also non-tendered Hanser Alberto. Now, Stan, we talked about this for months. We knew this was coming. Elias yeah. says that he could be back at a lower price, though. With that in mind, 
What are the chances in your mind that the Orioles do actually bring back Hunter Alberto? Uh, again, the, the 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 market will kind of dictate that. Um, you know, I've always been. You know, that sounds like a great deal for the team. You know, but then you have a guy who who you know is being beat down on on his compensation, and you wonder if it's not just better that somebody moves on. You know, yeah. I mean, Hanser's a, a terrific guy. Everybody loves his story. You know how he learned baseball from his father, and his baseball his father was a, a baseball player. Uh, you know, in in uh, the native where was he? Dominican? I can't even remember now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's from the Dominican. Uh, yeah, but you know the whole story with his father being an amputee uh, and not being able to continue with his baseball because his arm had to be, uh, you know, uh, severed uh, an injury, um, a factory injury, I think it was. But uh, it, you know, it's a great story. But he's not a he's not a guy moving. Nor is Freddie Galvez a guy moving the needle. But but what you got is Gal, a guy like Galvez or Addison Russell is not sitting there being at all pissed off because they came with open eyes about what they were going to make as a Baltimore Oriole. Whereas you bring Hanser Alberto back, and he knows you. He beat you. The club beat him out of five hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's a different, it's a whole different attitude, in my opinion. Now, of course, from Freddie, from uh, Hanser Alberto's point of view, he's never really going to say that because the Orioles still might remain one of his better options. Right. Yeah, and as far as the Freddie Galvis splits goes, so against left-handed pitching, uh, or against left-handed pitching, he has had 1,098 plate appearances. He's batting 261, 21 home runs, 96. Now we're more interested in what he did as a left-handed hitter. As a left-handed hitter, he's batting 241 with 74 home runs, 290 RBIs. But as far as what's, open, he, on, what's he on base percentage? The on-base percentage uh, against right-handed pitching is 295, and against left-handed pitching is 283. So. Okay. And, and then not, not, a, not a huge difference. Okay, right. right, and then OPS plus he is better against right-handed pitching. It's one hundred two to ninety-six, so definitely yeah. a little bit better as a lefty hitter for sure. Yeah. Again, we're talking about a guy who be a one-year fit. You know, you'd get this way. You'd get the opportunity of seeing if Martin look. Martin could easily uh, steal the job from him. There's no question about it. If Martin could hit a little bit. Martin is uh, is a decent decent enough fielder to to take the job, but but a mix of the two uh, seems to be about what the Orioles will end up with, no matter what they do. You know, if they get a Dana Echevarria, he's a he's a weak sister at the plate. He is a strong defender, though. Yeah, for for me. I think with the Orioles, they're going to have a full year of Mountcastle and Santander. Mancini hopefully will be back at full strength. So I think that the offense is going to be there, where you can kind of get away with having a weaker hitting shortstop as long as they play good defense. And for me, that's yeah. all That's all I need. I need is somebody to play great defense behind that young pitching staff. And if you, are, you already have that in center field between Hayes and Mullins, uh, and you already have that at second base now with Yolmer Sanchez, that's why I was so excited about Iglesias being here. And now that he's not... I, I firmly believe, Sam, that it's going to be a Danny Echevarria that's going to be an Oriole. I, I, like I said to Zach in our intro, you know, got when you add up all the head. things we're talking about, and uh, I don't mean to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, because I'm talking about having uh, Zanino, wanting Zanino as my catcher, 
uh, Echeverria is, is Zunino at shortstop, you know. Exactly. He is a guy, he is a guy that's going to help your pitching staff, yeah. Right. So and maybe at the end of the day, it is Echeverria and some kind of uh, parcel with uh, Richie Martin. I mean, uh, look, Martin is going to get a look in spring training, um, whatever way, shape, or form spring training is, uh, and I, I think he's got a strong chance to make the team this year. Well, you would you would think so, especially since after getting rid of Iglesias, what, what kind of depth do you have? Because all your better shortstops, and, and uh, unless Mason, McC- they didn't protect Mason McCoy, he could get taken in the Rule Five. I don't think that he will. Maybe they could bring him to battle to battle for a utility spot. Uh, next spring, but other than that, you don't really have anybody in the organization that can slide into that role at util- uh, for utility or just again. I'm, I'm not stuff. sure of the kid that they picked up in the Givens trade whether he could play shortstop, at, you know, 50 games or something like that. But let's be honest, we may not love him as a shortstop, but we're going to see uh, Pat Valleca play yep. some games at shortstop probably. I 100% agree with you. We're going to see Pat Valeka. As long as we don't have to see Andrew Velasquez, I'm uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. That, that, that Andrew, Andrew Velasquez, as much as I loved him as a defender, any place he played was one of the most worthless hitters I've ever seen. Oh, he he couldn't hit his way out of a uh, out of yeah. a wet paper bag. Now, yeah. a guy that we're leaving out that I always for some reason that's an insult to a wet bag. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ramon Urias, or Urias, I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Zach yeah. always corrects me, and I never get it right. I'm not sure of it either, but I'm going to go with Urias. I Urias. Think, yeah. Well, Ramon Urias, he came up, and he he hit, in 25 at-bats, he had nine hits. He had 360. He played some pretty solid defense over there at shortstop. He's going to get an opportunity at this job in spring training. We don't talk about him because we didn't see him until the last week of the season last year, but that's a guy who could make a case to be the Orioles shortstop in 2021. I don't know enough about, I'm looking at his numbers here. I uh, he played a couple of years in the St. Louis organization. He played in Mexico it, for yeah, a little bit as well. Yeah, he played double A, triple A in 2018. Had 28 doubles, 13 homers, 44 RBIs, batted 300, 356, 516 slugging, 872. Uh, then the, the following year in St. Louis's minor leagues, he batted uh, 262. 362, 419, 781, 24 doubles, 10 homers, 55 RBIs. Um, yeah, let's not let's not discount him. Yeah, I am, however, looking at his defensive numbers, and he had four errors in nine games played in the, in the infield, uh, which okay. is. He had it was a 900 fielding percentage at short at shortstop and 850 at second base. It not leaves a lot to be desired there. Now it's a very small sample size. It could just be nerves because he was making his major league debut debut. Right. But I, I saw some things I liked from him. So that's another guy who could be in the conversation. Now moving on from the shortstop position here, Stan. Um, the Orioles also tender contracts Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander. Those numbers have not been made public yet because they're still basically these guys. Yeah. Um, they Mancini's due a raise to four point eight million. Anthony Santander anywhere from one point seven to three million dollars. I would imagine that the Orioles would give Mancini about as close to four point eight million as as he's going to get. Am I correct in assuming? Yeah, that? I would. I would think uh, you know that that's that's reasonable. You know, and I mean, that, look, I, I'm never quite sure. I don't like to begrudge anybody the money that they've earned. But what did he make 
What did he make the previous year? That I'm not sure of. I, okay. I, I, it was probably around. I think it was around two million because I know that he was. It you was mean first, in this past season? Yeah, because he was. It was his first year of um, arbitration this past yeah. year. So I'm. I, I just. I just. I'm. I'm always. I'm always wondering what. And nobody. You know. This is not to get into. You know. Um, what happened to him? You know, with cancer. But it. It seems that's an unfair. Uh, an unfair ask of the club to take a guy from two million to two pence nothing for you. you yeah, know? no, I, I I firmly agree. And it, 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 he's but, due a raise. But having point. said that, I think the Orioles to to beat a guy down and say, hey, you know, we think three point five is fair because you didn't really do anything this year. It's it's not a good relationship with the player, you know. Yeah, and you have to wonder where Trey Mancini, for all intents and purposes, seems to be a really, really good quality. In um, he knows he didn't play in 2020. I, I can't seem to find his numbers on what he made last year. But I also think it would be a good. He's coming back from cancer, and he's the face of your franchise. I think it's a it's a good look to just give him the money that he's due in arbitration yeah, this year. I, I don't disagree with Anthony Santander. That's that's a different story. Now he's due a raise, like we said, anywhere from one point seven to three million dollars, and he's ended each on uh, the injured list because he had the the labrum issue in twenty nineteen. He had the strained oblique in twenty twenty. He's proving to be one up-and-coming stars in Major League Baseball, but this is a guy who has to prove that he can also stay on the field for a full season, which he's yet to do. I mean, if you recall, when the Orioles got him in the Rule 5 draft, majority of that year injured before he made his, his Major League debut with the ball club on the second half of 2017. So what can he realistically expect to get in arbitration? Can I just jump in because you mentioned uh, Trey Mancini's salaries. This yeah. past season... Trey Mancini, $575,000 in 2019. His 2020 salary was $4.7 million. Oh, wow. So that means that he'd be staying. Uh, I don't see any way the Orioles will pay him less than four point. Seven five, you know, that's for, what he made in twenty twenty. For twenty twenty, I have him at one point seven, uh, about one point seven five million dollars. Now I'm at, I'm on Baseball Reference, and it says he made twenty twenty. His salary was four point seven five. Well, it looks like in twenty twenty one, maybe they're projecting what he's about to make this year in arbitration because I'm looking at um, on SportTrack the, the contract website, and it has him at five seventy five in twenty nineteen, like you said, and then one point seven five. In 2020, and then four. It does sound like a ridiculous raise from five seventy five to four seven four million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, it, so I, I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, but you know, what can I tell you? I'm looking at Baseball Reference. They have. Yeah, I, I think that Zach is right in this instance. I think that, yep. they, that they project out to what yep. he's going to make because just based on. Um, that makes no sense, though. Well, right. they 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 also said that that. Um, a guy like Austin Hayes maintains his rookie eligibility through 2021, and he doesn't. Right. He he already surpassed that this past year. So I think that they, a lot of times they project out and then update after the the numbers come out. So right, um, and making close to five million uh, in arbitration. That sounds year. awfully high for where he was coming from. It absolutely yeah. does. But yeah. so with but getting back to Santander, you know, I would think that Santander a two point three to two point six. In that range, 
Yeah, these are things where the the Orioles and the and the players generally meet somewhere in the middle. They ha- the player has an idea of what he should make. the The team has an idea of what he should make, and they usually meet somewhere in the middle. The Orioles have a big track record of a not going to arbitration and b when they do winning. So yeah. I, I think that most players don't, and you don't want to go as a as a player. You don't want to go to an arbitration hearing and get told by your team why you suck. And that, so to avoid that at all costs. So I yeah. think that they probably will meet somewhere in the middle and get a deal done with Santander and Mancini, hopefully sooner rather than later, just so they can have one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Now, Stan, before we let you go, yeah. uh, Joe Trezza put out his list on the Orioles' top five seasons by an Orioles position player. He had Cal Ripken's 1991 MVP season coming in at number one. A lot of Orioles baseball in, in your time on this planet. Uh, what is the greatest season you remember seeing by an Oriole position player, pitcher, both? What are the gr- it's the greatest season you can remember seeing as a fan? Well, I start off with Frank Robinson in uh, 1966, yeah. winning the Triple Crown and leading his team to a World Series. You know, um, that, that after all these seasons, registers as the greatest season I've seen. Jim Gentile in 1961, that season where he had 46 home runs and drove in 141 runs, is pretty good. Boot Powell, who won an American League MVP, good in a couple of his seasons. Uh, certainly, Ripken is deserving of being in the top five, but I Frank Robinson, you know. And, of course, Eddie Murray had some incredible seasons. Oh, yeah, Eddie Murray had some incredible seasons. Zach and I are actually doing our Orioles banter segment today on the best of the rest, so we're going to get into a bunch of other great seasons that weren't mentioned. Yeah. But, Stan, we got to get a break. Thank you so much, as always, for joining the program. We great to talk to you guys. As good, always. Good talk. Bye. Take care. Bye. And that was Stan the Fan Charles with his weekly 10-20 segment here, talking about the Orioles non-tenders, the Orioles – um, options at shortstop uh, again. I really think it's going to be a Danny Echevarria. Uh, I, I would love Andrelton Simmons. That's who I'm really hoping for. I hope that the Orioles say, hey, you know what, this is a guy who can play great defense. His bat's not going to hurt us. He's probably only going to cost about five million this year. Let's go get him. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but you know, we can hope and pray, right? So just as a reminder that the Chesapeake impl- uh, that the Batteround is coming to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio, and that the Batteround is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And if you're missing your stand the fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. If you miss Stan and Ross breaking down the Orioles offseason this week, find that show via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com. Coming up this Monday night, Stan and Ross are joined by former MLB pitcher and longtime Giants pitching coach Dave Vergetti. That's Monday night at 8 at facebook.com slash Press box sports. We're going to get a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Steve Maleski from MassinSports.com. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine in, dine out, on the patio, or to go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. 
For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major bodywork. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sport, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great Time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Lynn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports and listen to PressboxOnline.com slash radio. Glenn Clark Radio and Drew Forrester's Drew's Morning Dish.com have partnered up to collect coats and clothes this season for helping up missions. There's never been a more difficult time to take care of of those who need it most in our community. Thankfully, Great Eights Memorabilia and Jerry's Toyota and Chevrolet have partnered with us for an awesome collection drive event. We'll be at Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 for a pregame tailgate party before the Baltimore-Cleveland showdown. Joining us will be Ring of Honor star Michael McCrary, who will be taking socially distanced pictures and signing autographs for anyone who donates coats and clothes. That's Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th for our pregame party and collection with your thoughtful donations to the Helping Up mission. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we saw championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles will in the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, UK edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back in to the bat around. We are here uh, from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And do you need your fantasy fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled? Xbox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11:30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at pressboxonline.com/radio, or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at facebook.com. It's the Pressbox fantasy football show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army.
So we're having a little bit of uh, technical difficulties here, but we'll get those figured out uh, in, a, in a few minutes. But uh, if we want to go back to what we were talking about, uh, before the break, so short, uh, we're talking about shortstops that could possibly play uh, for the year. Tweet us with any possible trade suggestions you'd have or free agent suggestions you'd like to see in Baltimore. Um, you know, we think it's a Danny Echeverria, Freddie Galvis. There are some definite uh, guys the Orioles could bring in. Uh, I, I look at Hayson Kim as a great option, and I really think the Orioles should be willing to spend that money and go out there and get a 25-year-old guy who would need a little bit of development. Um, but there are a lot of guys that, that could be here. Uh, for the Orioles, and I'm excited to see who they pick up. I think they need a good defender. I think they need a guy who can handle the bat a little bit as well. Um, we're now going to be talking to Steve Molesky from Masson Sports. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but we're back in. Yeah, we had a little bit of te technical difficulties here. Our internet connection, we lost it a little bit. Things froze up a little bit. I got us back up on Facebook, but Zach, your screen is still frozen, unfortunately. But on to more pressing matters right now. On the line with us from MassonSports.com, we have Steve Molesky. Steve, how are you this morning? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning. Thank you for joining our program today. Sorry for the technical difficulties and calling you a little later than we had intended. Um, the Orioles, they traded Jose Iglesias to the Angels for minor league pitchers Gene Pinto and Garrett Stallings. Steve, first and foremost, what are your thoughts on this trade? How do you feel about the Orioles getting rid of maybe one of their better players from 2020? I mean, it was a surprising trade, and I mean, I don't term it getting rid of them because certainly they they didn't want to do that. They they turned them into two players, and they had one year left on the deal, and so it it hit it, hit, it hits hard with fans because in the great year that he had, um, and it seemed like they certainly wanted him back. They've been very praiseworthy about him since they picked up his option, the 2021 team, and then bam, he's gone. And, you know, that's a that's a jolt to fans who get used to players and get attached to players. And on a rebuilding situation where there hasn't been a lot of wins, they look for things to hang on to. And him and his play was one of those things. And then Elias is kind of at odds with that because he's trying to build for the long term and keep pounding away at pitching prospects. And when you think you have enough, get 10 more. And then when you get 10 more, get 10 more. <laughs> it's just... You know, we're going to see how this plays out because what's he going to do at shortstop now is the question. That That is the question. And do you expect them to sign a veteran like Anadini Echevarria and Andrelton Simmons, maybe Jonathan VR, who didn't have a great year and is out there again? Or will it be a guy like a Richie Martin or a Taron Vavra? Or do we see a lot more Pat Valeka at shortstop in 2021? I think the starting shortstop is not on the roster right now. And I expect him to add somebody. I don't have any idea who that would be. <clears throat> I would be against VR. I think he would be too erratic over six months at short for that. Yeah. And so I do not expect it to be VR. Um, I'd rather just, if, that, if that's their choice, which I don't think it will be, I'd rather see him go with Richie Martin. But um, I do think there are some shortstops out there. There's not a ton. Um, and one or two will be coming to Baltimore. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be another veteran signing, just like they did with Iglesias last year. Now, with the Orioles with Iglesias, was this kind of a sell-high situation for them? Or was it because I feel like if they traded him now, they probably had eyes on trading him at the deadline. Um, and maybe he doesn't have the year that he had last year, and then they don't get as much. So is this more of a sell-high situation for the ball club? I I think it's just they got a pitcher they really like, and so... 
people said to me, and they're not wrong, well, he's the number 21 prospect. Couldn't they get higher for that? And number 26, they ranked him with the Orioles, uh, MLB Pipeline. And my response is, well, on Mike Elias's personal list, he might have been their number eight. You know, it's someone that he liked a lot and has said he liked a lot and said he liked him in college and then said they watched him pitch in instructs and he was better than he was in college. So we have to go with his judgment. Um, and it, we don't have a choice, really. I mean, we're not, we don't get a vote in this, fans and media. Um, so he, he made a comment during one of the, after one of the trades during the 2020 season, maybe it was Breyer, I forget, that when you get the price point you like, you act. And, and maybe that was, came into play here, too. Yeah, I, I I firmly believe that uh, that this was a guy that the, the, Garrett Stallings was a guy that the Orioles just wanted all along, and if they had to get get rid, of, if I don't want to use the term get rid of, if they had to uh, lose Iglesias to get a pitcher that they think can help their their organization down the road, then they were going to do that. Um, as far as the non-tender deadline and the contracts that were tendered and the non-tender with Hanser Alberto. Was there anything that surprised you? The Alberto writing was kind of on the wall there, um, but were you surprised to see a guy like Sean Armstrong, Pat Valleca, and Pedro Severino be tender contracts? Uh, not Armstrong. He threw so well for me, and I think they made changes with him that they think will hold longer than 15 innings that we saw in 2020, but it was 15 good innings. And so Valleca to me, was 50-50. Um, he's reaching a point where, you know, the pay would be hard to pay a guy who's probably not an everyday guy for you. And so, but they got him. And then uh, Severino surprised me a little bit because, um, boy, he just really fell off so badly at the end of the year. But I do think the Orioles looked at two years' body of work and not two weeks. Uh, because if you could take away the last two weeks, Pedro Severino's stats would look a lot better. Probably three weeks, really. Uh, but, I mean, in a 60-game season, he essentially had a great half and then a terrible half. Um, and his defense suffered, too, at the end. And I just thought the last image the Orioles had of Pedro was he struggled so badly that they might say, we, we're not going to do it for that price. But the other thing is they do, again, they, they looked at a larger body of work. And I think they liked how he did with the game planning that they used and the, the things they did with their analytics, with their catchers. So um, he's back. So hey. obviously the Orioles now have 38 players on their 40-man roster, so they have two open spots. First of all, what do you think the Orioles could use those two open spots on? And then second, is there any guy on the 40-man roster right now you would see as the next DFA candidate? Uh, that's always hard to say. I mean, I think it sets up for them to maybe make a Rule 5 pick. I've wondered on my blog if this is the year that they won't. The last time they did not was 2005. It's been a long time since the Orioles did not take a Rule 5 player. So it, it probably where they are in their evolution of rebuilding, it probably does make sense. I mean, I'm, I, I have a little, uh, we have COVID weariness. I have a little Rule 5 weariness. It's like, but then at the same time you say that, and you're just like, well, Anthony Santander and, Richie Martin are two guys they like. So I, I think that tells us that they'll probably pick someone. They're picking fifth. So there should be someone left that they at least want to see a spring training look at that could always go back. 
Now, are they more likely to go middle infield like a shortstop? Because I don't think they pick an outfielder, but are they more likely to go infield like a shortstop or a third baseman? Or you just can't predict it? that with a Rule Five. It's my, your mileage may vary. What the Tampa Bay Rays like or the Detroit Tigers like. It's so different than the Rule 4 draft, where there's somewhat of a pecking order and somewhat of a consensus amongst, if you look at all of it, all of it. and then even teams differ from that. But in the Rule 5, I, don't, I, I think it's, there's such a sparsity of talent that you can't say we're going to target an outfielder. There may not be an outfielder right. who fits the bill. Um, so... You know, you always feel somewhat safe taking a pitcher because they say you can bury a pitcher more and you have 15 on your roster or 14 or something. And, you know, you might be able to get away with that in 90 active days. So uh, I don't think to target a position in the Rule 5. Yeah, no, and and as far as a Rule 5 pick, I tend to agree with you where you – you wondered whether or not there was the roster flexibility this year for the Rule 5 pick. I don't see where they have the roster flexibility. And last year they took two pitchers and they sent them both back right before um, spring training got shut down. So I'm not sure that the Orioles, I think that they will make a pick, but I'm not sure that that guy stays with the ball club like we've seen in the past, like at Santander or Ryan Flaherty or TJ McFarlane. I'm just not sure that that guy sticks around. Now, we did talk a little bit about Pedro Severino and... One of the reasons a lot of people thought that he might be non-tendered is because the Orioles may want to sign a veteran catcher who is more defensive-minded than Severino is and can handle a younger pitching staff. And we know that the Orioles are going to have... They have Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, who are likely to be in the rotation next year, and guys like Dylan Tate, Hunter Harvey, Tanner Scott in their bullpen. Do you see them going out and getting another veteran catcher like a Brian Holiday to bring into this organization to help this young pitching staff in 2021? They will. They usually have met multiple catchers go to spring training, um, some of which Taylor Davis we didn't see and Brian Holiday we didn't see much. So they'll have a, they'll find that that guy again who fits that brand. But he won't be there. He won't he won't be coming to the team to you know he'll be coming to the team as catching depth and not to guide a young pitching staff because he probably won't play much. So I don't see them signing their catcher starter. Uh, I think their catcher starter, they did. They just signed, you know, the other day. So there's, there's things to like about the continuity of catching um, that, they, that uh, Cisco and uh, Severino have been there two years. Adley's on the come. Will it be this year? Will it be next year? So time is running shorter for this group as catchers. But they do have track record with these pitchers. The pitchers made improvement in 2020, and they did uh, change and upgrade how they do their data with the catchers, which is a real involved system that they thought that the catchers carried out well in uh, 2020. Well, yeah, and and I'm sure that you're tired of talking about it because people have been asking you since the day he was drafted. But is there a legitimate chance now that we see Adley Rutschman, assuming a minor league season, is there a legitimate chance that we see him maybe as a September call-up, or do you think that his debut still waits till 2022? I mean, I don't, if he doesn't get on the roster and it's almost September, they might not because he doesn't have to be on the 40-man yet. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's too soon for that. Yeah, yeah. He only played two years if you count this year as a year, and they do. So you have to be f- five years if you were drafted. 
uh, let's see, no, four years if you were signed under 21. Five if under 21, four if after. Man, I'm confused. <laughs> That's all right. So anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is too soon for him to have to be added like Diaz was added. And so... That's that's a case against Adley being on this year, and another case is they're probably not going to be. You know, some some fans have floated to me. What if it's a Manny scenario? They wound up being a lot better than they expected. They have a chance at something, um, and they want to call him in August, like they called Manny. That that makes sense if if they really are truly in that position, and they could do something, and they feel like boy that could help us cement this. So that that makes sense, and so others don't make as much sense because of things like the roster and service time and where the position of the team. Well, Mike Elias did allude to the fact that the Orioles were still in contention at the end of 2020. Um, that he may have brought Rutschman up for a playoff push. I don't see this team as being a playoff contender in 2021. I do think they'll be leaps and bounds better than they've been the last few years. Um, but if it's if he's only getting called up for playoffs, then we're not going to see Adley Rutschman, in my opinion, in 2021. A couple guys that we do expect to see in 2021 are Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander. They were tender contracts by the Orioles. Um, they haven't agreed to any terms yet. Those numbers aren't out there. Do you have any estimates on what we could see the Orioles offering Mancini and Santander for the 2021 seasons? I do not, especially in light of the 2020 season being 60 games. It's right. so hard to know the dollars, what how this working. But we do know that they'll resolve it because in a worst-case scenario, they can't agree. Arbitration will take care of that. So that's that's what the tender did. The tender said, you'll be under contract next year. <laughs> Whether you agree or not, you're going to have one. The team and the player will pick a number in a worst-case scenario, and even after they do that, they tend to meet in the middle. And not a lot of these don't go to arbitration hearings, and I think the Orioles would try to make that not happen. You know, In other words, don't have a hearing. So they'll have a number. It'll probably be a reasonable, but what MLB trade rumors put out maybe a little less last year i think their mlb trade rumors the first year i noticed their arbitration numbers <clears throat> there they were not as right on the button as they've been over the years yeah i was actually reading their their uh, arbitration estimates this year and they even put a little note up there that said these are just our thoughts these are no way in no way um deemed to be the most accurate um estimations right, and they here. do that every year kind of just uh, let people know hey we're not Speaking for the industry, and I think we all know that, but their their guy has been really close on a lot of them. And I mean, but you know, you you can be. I projected uh, when I looked at Severino, what I did months ago is I looked at Hanser, and what did he get in his second year, or what did he get in his first year of arbitration? And I think it was around one point four. And I said. Severino will probably be in that ballpark, and I mean, he's a little north of that, but, you know, that was one thing I looked at as a projection. Okay, this guy will be a first-time Oriole, um, not a comp in terms of their position or anything, but just being first-time guy, uh, That that's what I looked at. Well, yeah, and so all the numbers say that Trey Mancini should get about $4.8 million 
and that would be about a $3 million raise from last year. Now, we know Trey's story. We know he's coming back from colon cancer and that he's in remission at this point in his life, and that's the most important thing. But the Orioles, as a business, do they view somebody who is coming off such a such a horrible disease who didn't play last season, do they view a $3 million raise from a business standpoint as too much, or is it something where they're like, this is the face of our franchise, we want to support him, we want to be behind him, we want to give him what he's due? I mean, I think they'll view him as what you said. Um, he's one of their top guys. And he was admired before all this, and this just added to it, how he handled it, how he dealt with it. So what we don't know, and it's kind of harsh to say, is how his body will hold up um, over six months of baseball after what he's been through. And no one knows that answer, but... Um, you know, he's young and he's strong and he's in the prime of his uh, life and baseball career. And so I think thinking he's going to come back and be that guy is reasonable to think. But until we see it, we won't see it. And so, but I think his, in terms of how highly regarded he is with the Orioles, I think it's very highly. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they'll do right by Trey, and I think that Trey certainly deserves it, just based on the person he is, how he's handled himself, and what he's done for this Orioles franchise. So, Steve, before we let you go, we do have one last question for you, and that is um, Joe Trezza on MLB.com put out his top five Orioles seasons by a position player. He had Cal Ripken's 1991 MVP season ranked number one. In your lifetime of watching the Orioles, what is the best season you have ever seen other than Cal's 91 season? Oh, my gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I was born but so young, but it's hard to, it's hard to top Frank Robinson right. winning the Triple Crown and then going on to sweep the Dodgers and transforming the team beyond the stats. You know, to me, he was the most influential player in Oriole history. It was only six years, but they were in the World Series four times. Right. They've been in the World Series two times without Frank Robinson, four times with him, 66% of his seasons. So he, he, was, he truly was that final piece that all teams hope they're in a position one day, if we acquire one more guy that might put us over the top, that truly played out with Frank Robinson in Baltimore. And that, that, to me, I'd have a hard time saying anything but his 66 season. But, you know, there have been great, great seasons. So, I mean, Zach, Zach Britton's season, to me, uh, he, he didn't hit any home runs, but it wasn't his job. What he did in 2016, that might be the best season by a relief pitcher in the history of the sport. Absolutely. So how would you say too many seasons are better than that? And he and he he, that's the only job he had, right? Relief pitcher. Yeah, but he absolutely. did it to an unbelievable level. So those were fun to watch. To me, Frank season, I I would still put first because, again, it's a triple crown. That's very rare in baseball, and the numbers don't look as impressive in context of the game with more offense, you know, and the steroid era and all that. But that was a big number he put up in '66. Um, and then, you know, like I said, 66 through 71, they played in four World Series. That, that's, he's, Brooks Robinson is my favorite Oriole. He'll always be number one for me, because uh, Brooks Robinson, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah. And so, but you could say, and Brooks would probably say, that Frank's impact was greater than any uh, 
because of what they did in that time. That was, I mean, wouldn't that be fun? Four World Series in oh, six man. years. That could I've be never fun. seen. I've never seen one. So that would that would definitely be fun. And and Joe Trust does have Frank Robinson's 1966 season ranked number two all time for the Orioles. And I think that we can all agree that Robinson's 1966 campaign is the most important season in Orioles franchise Definitely. history. So, and you and St- you and Stan the fan are on the same page. He, he his favorite season was uh, or best season he saw was Frank's as well. So, Steve, right. th- thank you so much for joining the program. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys, enjoyed it. See you bye. Have a great weekend. That was Steve Molesky from MassinSports.com uh, being gracious enough to join us here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And before we get another break, I just want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Mike Tarico, Trey Wingo, Bradley Bozeman, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to get our second break of the show, but when we come back, Orioles banter, best of the rest, top five seasons by a position player in Orioles history. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit DEIWC.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't... 
hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Battle Round. Been a bit of a bumpy road today. What with me forgetting my cell phone and not realizing until it was too late to turn back and get it. And then with the internet issues here. But we're rolling along here. This is going to be one of my favorite segments. And this is actually going to start a series for us. So right now, we are going to do... So Joe Trezza put out an article on MLB.com. And it was the top five seasons by a position player in Orioles history. Um, so... And just to recap his, he has at number five, Chris Davis is 2013 when he slashed 286, 370, 634, hit 53 home runs, drove in 138, had a 168 OPS plus, and, a, and he was good enough for seven wins above replacement. At number four, Brooks Robinson's 1964 MVP season where he hit 317 with 28 homers, 128 RBIs, and Eight wins above replacement. Number three, Cal Ripken's 1983 MVP season uh, when he hit 318 with 121 runs, scored 47 doubles, 27 homers, 102 RBIs, and an eight war. Number two, Frank Robinson's 1966 Triple Crown MVP season where he slashed 316, 410, 637, hit 49 homers, and 122 RBIs. That 49 homers ranked first in the franchise for 30 years until Anderson hit Brady Anderson hit 50 in 1996. Uh, and then, of course, at number one, Cal Ripken's 1991 MVP season, 323, 374, 566, 210 hits, 34 homers, and 114 RBIs with a 940 OPS. Cal registered 11.5 war, which isn't just the highest single-season war in the franchise's history. It's the highest single-season war in the history of Major League Baseball by a shortstop. The highest war in the history of his, in the history of the game at shortstop belongs to Cal Ripken. For all those people out there who say Derek Jeter is a better player than Cal, no. Um, now we have some honorable mentions. Jim Gentile, 1961, hit 46 homers, 141 RBIs. Boog Powell finished second in 1969 for the MVP and won it in 1970. Uh, Eddie Murray in 83 hit 306 with 33 homers. Finished second to Cal in the MVP voting. We mentioned Brady Anderson when he hit 50 homers in 96 and stole 21 bases. Brian Roberts in 2005 when he had 70 extra base hits, 27 steals, and a 7 war. And Manny Machado in 2015 coming off that knee surgery had 35 homers and 20 uh, stolen bases while also uh, playing gold glove defense. 
Man, I miss Manny. I miss Manny. Um, so those were the honorable mentions by Joe Trezza. So Zach and I decided that we're going to do our best of the rest for Orioles banter today. And this is going to start a series for us on Orioles banter. So next week's edition, we're going to do the best five seasons by an Orioles starting pitcher. Then we're going to do the following week, the best five seasons by a relief pitcher. And then after that, we're going to do the best five seasons overall by, uh, I think we have more in there than just those three, but the best five seasons overall for the team. Um, But with all that in mind, I have my best of the rest list. Now, these are seasons that I have seen personally. So I'm excluding Cal Ripken in 1984 when he registered a 10 war, hit 304 with 27 homers and 86 RBIs. Good enough for 10 wins above replacement that year. Great season from Cal and his Rookie of the Year campaign when I think his, his war was around 8, something like that. So at number 5 for me is Eric Davis in 1998. A year removed from colon cancer, Davis slashed 327, 388, 582 while hitting 28 home runs and driving in 89. These are his highest totals in both categories since 1989. His 327 batting average was the highest of his career and fifth highest in Orioles history. And he also set career highs in hits with 145 and doubles with 29. Eric Davis, 1998, especially when you consider that he had colon cancer in uh, 1997. Big, big year from Eric Davis in that in that season. At number four, Rafael Palmero, 1996. Uh, the Orioles in that year set a major league, a then major league record with 257 home runs. And yeah, Brady hit 50, but right at the forefront of that was Palmero, who slashed 289, 381, 546. He hit 39 home runs, drove in 142, had 181 hits, 110 runs scored, and 40 doubles. Orioles made it to the ALCS that year. They also made it in, in 97. Um, and that was thanks in part to that magical season by Rafael Palmero. At number three, Rafael Palmero, 1998. Uh, the Orioles faced a number of injuries in 98. They finished that season. They had Their team was loaded, but they finished the season 78 and 84, uh, the first in what would become 14 straight losing seasons, but it was not for a lack of effort from, from Rafael. Uh, after compiling 39, 39, and 38 home runs the previous three seasons, Palmero finally got over the 40-homer threshold for the first time, mashing 43 home runs while slashing 296, 379, 565, and also driving him 121 runs. He had a 6.3 war, which was the second highest of his entire career, trailing only the 6.9 war he had in 1993 with Texas. Number two for me, Nick Markakis, 2008. Markakis was coming off a season in 2007 where he batted 300, hit 23 homers, and drove in 112 runs. So it's hard to top that, especially when you're just going into your third season. But 2008, he didn't match the home runs, didn't match the RBIs, but that's because, man, he was so much better of a player. He slashed 306, 406, 491 in 2008, still managed to hit 20 homers and drive in 87. He set career highs with 48 doubles and 106 runs. He also, uh, 106 runs scored while also walking 99 times. He walked 38 more times in 2008 than he did in 2007, which you can kind of attribute to the homer numbers and RBI numbers being down. Uh, None of those numbers are the most impressive, though. Nick had a 7.4 war in 2008. That was the top war in the American League in 2008. The top war. It wasn't third, fourth, fifth. He had, he had the most wins above replacement in the American League of any player 
in 2008. Still didn't make the All-Star team. That was George Sherrill. Didn't make the All-Star team in 2010 when Ty Wigginton went. The guy who hit 239 that year. Should have been Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis is a one-time All-Star, and it came in 2019 with the Braves. He should have been at least a three- or four-time All-Star with the Baltimore Orioles, especially when he was the best player on a bad baseball team. He should have been their representative so many times. But his seven-point war season in 2008 is the number two season for me all-time for the Orioles. Best of the rest. And then number one of the best of the rest, Melvin Mora, 2004. 2004, if you recall, the Orioles, they signed Raf- they signed Palmero back. They signed Javi Lopez. They signed Miguel Tejada in the offseason. They put together arguably their best offensive squad um, in the dark ages, those 14 years of losing. Four players hit 23-plus homers. Six players hit over 300 p- while playing in 86-plus games. Miguel Tejada drove in 150 runs while hitting 34 homers. But it was Melvin Mora who had shown signs of breaking out the previous two seasons who really put it all together that year. Mora hit 340 as the everyday third baseman for the Orioles in 2004, which is the highest batting average in the franchise's history since it moved to Baltimore from St. Louis in 1954. His 419 on-base percentage led the majors. 27 homers, 104 RBIs, which were both, uh, and, and he scored 111 runs and 41 doubles. In fact, All of those numbers, home runs, RBIs, batting average, on-base percentage, runs scored, hits, and doubles were all career highs for Melvin Mora. His 5.6 war was fifth, I mean, I'm sorry, was eighth in the American League that year, which was higher than uh, 2004 AL MVP Vladimir Guerrero. So Melvin Mora, for me, the best season I have seen from a Baltimore Oriole that wasn't listed by Joe Trezza. I just bloviated, talked a lot. I'm going to give Zach an opportunity to do his uh, top five as well. Yeah, so I grew up in the you know the dark ages of the Orioles, and then you know also got to see that 2012-2016 run, but I didn't see a lot of these seasons that I'm about to talk about. But we are going to start off with one I did see, and that is Trey Mancini's 2019 291 batting average, a career high 31 homers, and a career high batting average, uh, an 899 OPS, and 135 OPS plus, and a 364 OBP. Best season of his young career. We hope he's going to have a lot uh, more good ones here. You know, uh, Eric Davis came off of having colon cancer and had his best season of maybe his whole career. And let's hope that Trey Mancini does the same thing. I believe he will. Uh, going on to my number four, we're going to talk about Chris Hoyles in 1993. That's a good one. A 310 batting average, 29 homers, and 1,001 OPS, and 162 OPS plus, and a 416 on base percentage. And just to give you a little bit of background on the stat, OPS plus, 100 is the average league average for OPS plus so to have a 162 OPS plus is about one of the better numbers you could have in that category Uh, moving on to number three Oriole legend Ken Singleton. We had him on the show last week. His 1977 season, 328 batting average, uh, 24 home runs, a career high 165 OPS plus, a 945 OPS, and a 438 on base percentage. So Ken Singleton was uh, third in MVP that year. Maybe should have won it, um, but 
just an absolutely incredible year from Ken Singleton. Uh, moving on to number two, you already covered him. I also agree with you on Melvin Mora in 2004. Uh, 27 homers, 340 batting average, 981 OPS, 155 OPS plus, 419 on base percentage. And like you said, he led the American League with a 6.7 war. Melvin Mora, another guy, just, you know, another Oriole legend that really, really was great here for a few years. And then finally, for my number one, I'm going to go with John Lowenstein, his 1982 season in which he had a 320 average, a career-high 24 home runs, a 1,017 OPS, and 176 OPS+, plus, a 415 on-base percentage, and also one of the highest wars in a single season in Orioles history. So John Lowenstein, you know, didn't have an incredible career after that, and he was, only 30, he was already 35 when he had this incredible season for the Orioles. So really interesting career for him, and he marks as my number one best of the rest. And it's crazy to think John Lowenstein ranks up there uh, when you consider he was in the platoon with Gary Renneke back right. in the 80s on those, good, on those good Orioles teams in the first half of that 80s decade. Um, Melvin Mora, uh, I did not see the 6.7 war. I saw 5.6 war, which um, ranked 8th, which was behind Tejada. Uh, I think Tejada was 4th or 5th in the AL in 2004 in wins above replacement. But maybe I was looking at a different category because there's offensive war, there's defensive war, there's overall war. Also, um, uh, a lot of the publications grade war differently. Like Fangraphs has a different war than Baseball Reference, so it's a little bit. It's not always a perfect science for sure. Yeah, it's none of this is a perfect science, and I honestly have no idea where they come up with these calculations and these these equations to figure out all this stuff. Um, some guys that we left out. Um, not Brian Roberts. We uh, Joe Tre- Tre- Joe Treza mentioned his 2005 season. Roberto Alomar in '96. Yeah. Um, he hit 20 homers, stole over 20 bags, hit 328. Uh, Roberto Alomar in '97. He was hitting over 400 into August. Um, he ended up hitting 333 that year. That was a, a hell of a year for him. Uh, Brady Anderson's 50 homer season. Mike Devereaux had a season where he had 24 homers, drove in over 100. I think he hit close to 290 that year. There's been a lot of really. Uh, Chris Davis's uh, 2015 when he hit 47 homers, drove in 118. Mark Trumbo led the majors in home runs. Nelson, Nelson Cruz. Cruz. The Orioles had four got had four straight seasons where they had the major league leader in home runs from 2013 through 2016. So a lot of good seasons. Eddie Murray. Not we didn't mention Eddie Murray. Not one of his seasons made the made Joe Trez's top five list, though his '83 campaign um, made it into his honorable mentions. Neither one of us had Eddie Murray, and it just Eddie Murray was always one of those guys who you know you knew he was going to show up. He was a switch hitter, one of the deadliest switch hitters in the history of the game. Had a number of good seasons, but he was steady Eddie. He wasn't remarkable Eddie. He was steady Eddie. He was that guy who showed up. You knew he was going to hit 280 to 300 with 25 to 30 home runs every year, but he never had one of those freak seasons where his OPS was, you know, 1100 and his his um um OPS Plus was like 165. He never had one of those years, but did finish second to Cal in 1983 in the MVP voting. Man, I go back to Cal, and he has two seasons on that top five list for for Joe Trezza, and it's just, you look at what Cal did the first 10 years of his career, that dude was one of the top players in the game. He's in my opinion, the best shortstop in the game. I, I don't understand how people can look at Cal Ripken's career and say, well, without the streak, he's not a Hall of Famer. You're out of your mind. Well, I mean, I, I think 
part of their argument there is that he played so many games that he was able to accumulate these stats, but it really is the talent that made that happen. It wasn't the amount of games played, but Cal Ripken is easily and by far the greatest shortstop of all time to play this game. You can look at Derek Jeter and say, okay, sure, he was a great playoff player. Um, you know, he's always very clutch. He's Mr. November. There are a lot of great things that Derek Jeter did, and I don't want to say that he wasn't, you know, one of the best shortstops of all time, but this is a guy whose defensive metrics round out as some of the worst of all time for anyone to ever play shortstop. Um, so, you know, I, I really wouldn't put him in that conversation, but Early on, Alex Rodriguez as a shortstop definitely has to be in that conversation. Ernie Banks definitely in that conversation. So, Cal Ripken, I still think, rises above everyone. He was incredible, like you said. Yeah, Cal was, he had a 10 win season in 84 and 11 and a half win season in 91. Cal, in my opinion, and look, I get it. I'm an Orioles fan, so I'm going to be biased, but. You, if you would just look at the raw numbers, if somebody took their faces and their names away and you put the numbers side by side, you'd choose Cal. You would choose Cal over Derek Jeter. And look, this isn't to say that Derek Jeter isn't a good baseball player. Derek Jeter is a good, was a good baseball player. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. But just because he was the captain and he won five or six World Series, that doesn't mean that he's the greatest shortstop of all time. Very good. Very good. But I've said this before. If he doesn't play in New York, he's Paul Molitor. He's Paul Molitor. Yep. He is a Hall of Famer, but nobody talks about him. He doesn't go down as one of the greatest play- as the greatest at his position. Now we got to move on. We have Maria Torres uh, from the LA Times who covers the Angels joining us here in a, just a few minutes. But before that, Zach's going to tell us about the uh, press box print edition. All right, the latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens' Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and much more, helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Thank you, Zach. You always do such a nice job. I appreciate it. Uh, on the line with us now from the LA Times, she's a beat writer for the Los Angeles Angels. We have Maria Torres. Maria, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you for joining our program. Now, of course, we have you on today because the Orioles and the Angels just completed the trade on Wednesday night, sending Jose Iglesias to the Angels to fill the void left by Andrelton Simmons in exchange for uh, Gene Pinto and Garrett Stallings. Was Iglesias somebody the Angels had on their radar in the past, and was he the top choice for them to replace Andrelton Simmons if they could work out a deal? That's a great question. It's kind of hard to answer at the moment just because the Angels have a new general manager in place, so right. um, you know whether whether or not the re- previous regime has him in mind. I'm not completely sure, um, but I think he just became he became very attractive for for a multitude of reasons. I think mostly being the cost of his contract, um, which the Orioles picked up at the beginning of the month, his option for next year, three point five million. He's definitely um, a lot less expensive than Anderton Simmons would have been. Um, had they, you know, tried to, to re re-sign him in free agency, and it also um, he also like obviously has a, a ton of skills. I mean, you guys know from watching him, he's a defend, he's a he's a talented defender, and and his bat is also starting to come up a little bit. They are encouraged by some of the trends that he that he demonstrated at the plate. So 
Um, you know, as far as whether or not he can replace the actual like level of productivity of Simmons, obviously that remains to be seen. But he's a, he's a very good de- he's a very good defender, and he'll make that infield a lot better. Hey Maria, how you doing? It's Zach Goodman. Um, so we were just talking about obviously the contracts the Angels are looking to give out, but they do have Rendon and Trout making around seven hundred million dollars on their books already. So are they looking for cheaper options right now and kind of budgeting their mo- their money a little bit when even better options could have really been out there for them to get? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And obviously, you know, given the given the situation and the sport because of the pandemic, it's going to be a little bit tougher for them to you know, I guess get the financials in place. But I do think that um, they're willing to, to, to spend the money if, if the right candidate comes up. Um, the, the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, said at the introductory introductory press conference of the new general manager, Perum Nagian, um, he said that the Angels payroll isn't going down for 2021, uh, which is a good sign because they were already, he was already on the hook for like a franchise high payroll going into 2020 um, before everything occurred. So, um, that means that they're they're willing to spend a little bit of money where it's necessary, and I think um, you know maybe it's not the same type of market we could see in a couple of years, or it, could, it might not be the same market we'll see next year. Um, but there are still like some good they're good pitching available, and that's their that's their biggest uh, focus right now is is shoring up not only the starting rotation but the bullpen. So and they they have uh, they have resources to get to that now that they have uh, shipped off a couple of uh, larger contracts. Although, of course, like you mentioned, they still still have uh, Trout and Rendon locked up for a lot of money and taking up a lot of the budget, and they also have one more year left of Albert Pujols' contract, which is a significant chunk as well. Um, but I, I think that you know, if, it, if there are ways to like to to construct a uh, a contract that you know is more backloaded, it could it could work out in the Angels' favor. Well, with uh, you mentioned the Pujols contract, his contract's up after twenty twenty one, which is a, a huge relief for that franchise after this coming season. Uh, Justin Upton's big contract is up after 2022. Now, you mentioned they have a new general manager. Is this kind of a breath of fresh air for the franchise, and do you see them reallocating those funds to make this team not just a contender in the AL West, but a World Series contender as well once they get those big contracts off the books? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, just judging from a couple of conversations that I've had with, with people in the sport, uh, people are pretty excited about what the Angels are, are up to or what they have up their sleeve with um, with with a new general manager on board. Uh, it, it does seem like a, a breath of fresh air. Obviously, it's it's disappointing from from the standpoint of how many years they have gone without going to the playoffs with Mike Trout at the helm of the of the of the players on the field. Um, and, but at, at the same time, uh, he's obviously he's coming he's come well into his own now. He's a trusted veteran leader with the, with to match it now, um, and I mean that more like in, in terms of the clubhouse presence. Um, whereas before, he was a little bit more reluctant to take that role. He's become that leader that you know everyone expects Mike Trout to be, and he has all the supporting pieces around him. Um, you know, one more year of Albert Pujols, who is you know for all his faults, he's still he's still Albert Pujols. He's still the the yeah. former uh, MVP um, who can still strike some fear into into opposing pitchers, and he's also been a tremendously stabilizing presence of that clubhouse. So I think, uh, you know, uh, it, it, with all those, like, swirling differences that come, could come together there, and a team in 2021, you could see a lot of changes. Um, Marie, we're losing you a little bit. You keep breaking up. Is this better? Yeah, I can hear you now. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Okay. Yeah, so you were talking about Albert... We lost you, right, when you were talking about Albert Pujols and how he's still Albert Pujols and he still can be a formidable presence in that lineup. I'm sorry. Are you hearing me? I'm, I'm, you guys are kind of far away, so I'm a little sure what, what's happening on my phone. Yeah, we're um, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here. I don't know if that's on your end or our end. We, already, we did have some issues with our internet uh, earlier okay. today. Are you hearing me loud and clear right now? Not very loudly, but I can hear you clearly. Okay, I'll, I'll turn up my microphone. Can you hear me better now? Yes, that's better. Okay, great. So, again, you were talking about what Albert Pujols, um, what his presence in the lineup still is and how they're going to get out from under that contract in 2021. Yeah, um, you know, Pujols is, is still a, a stabilizing force in the in the clubhouse. And in the lineup, too, I would say. I mean, he's, he's not the everyday first baseman that they found him to be at the beginning of the contract, but I think... Really, when when I'm sure Hardy Moreno looks back at that contract and thinks about it, I'm sure he knew that at the end of the contract he wouldn't be getting the same kind of value out of Albert Pujols that he expected to have. But he's been, uh, you know, he's been very valuable for Mike Trout, and Mike Trout leaned on Pujols a lot, learning from his leadership ability, learning from his his ability on the field as well. Because even though we don't, we're not seeing the numbers we used to see, at still still knows. He knows the tool. He knows how to. He knows how to work a bat. He knows how to help people, and that's and that's really important to Trout and to look younger people on the team as well, younger players on the team who look to him for guidance. And um, you know, just one year left of that large contract. Uh, I'm sure the Angels want to kind of put together a team that will help kind of pull if he chooses to retire after next year. Um, go out on a high note. Well, yeah, and our polls for. All the decline that we've seen in his numbers over the last few seasons, he still has a propensity for driving in runs. He still manages to come up in big situations, put the bat on the ball, and get runs home, which I think is just a a real indication of the type of player that he used to be and the type of player that he will be remembered as. Now, you look at the rest of this team, and you look at Mike Trout and Rendon, Upton, Otani, Joe Odell, who's coming up, um, who could be a future star. But all these guys underperformed. Last year, even Rendon and Trout, as compared to years past, even though Rendon did set a career high for on-base percentage, started the season really, really poorly, and the Angels had a really poor season. Was that more a result of a truncated season, and do the Angels expect those players to get back to their career norms and put them back in contention in 2021 for that AL West crown? Yeah, I do think that it was a result of a truncated season, and you heard the Angels talking about it a lot um, in their press conferences during the year. Uh, one of the things manager Joe Madden would say is like it, it was just it was that start and stop schedule didn't help anybody find a groove. Um, you know, you, you obviously as you guys are well aware, you had spring training for the four or five weeks, however long it was before it was cu- cut short. Then the players were gone home for three months. Right. Um, when they got back together in July, it was it, and they only had you know three or three weeks or so to kind of get everything together and also do that in a in a very strange manner where they were only playing against their own teammates, um, which doesn't really help anybody in terms of a competitive, competitive flow and trying to get that competitive uh, nature back into the, into the, into practice. So um, obviously there are teams that, that, that wasn't well, so it's not a great excuse, but it is definitely something that impacted them not being able to have that, that, that chemistry from the start, not being able to have that, uh, the consistency of a schedule from the beginning, and also one thing to to, to remember with with those players that you mentioned, Rendon started had a little bit of a of an injury at the beginning of the season, and right now it escapes me what it was, but he missed the first four or five games because of it. Um, and then Trout had, went on paternity leave, and 
came back and he was he was really hot for a little while and then kind of went to a little bit of a slump and he still managed to finish you know with with somewhat Mike Troutian numbers um, but they were still a little shy of what he what one would normally expect him to have and then you know you had the Angels as a result just an up and struggles at the beginning of the season calling up Joe Adele um, really prematurely. Uh, I don't think the Angels really expected to, to call on him that soon in the season offensively and needed a lot of work. And the the best option was just to go to Adele and see if you know he could start to to, to learn a little bit at a, at a quicker pace. Um, so I mean, it was just a it, it was <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a tough season overall for them to find any kind of consistency in that lineup. And um, uh, their utility player David Fletcher, uh, who was at the time I think he was playing second base maybe he might have been playing shortstop while Anderson Simmons was hurt so I mean there was just a, there was just a lot of injury and there was a lot of inconsistency and in the end um, they finally got things together but it was just a little too late well and one of the things that seems to haunt the Angels is they haven't had really legitimate starting pitching in quite a while Dylan Bundy and Griffin Canning they had they were adequate if not solid starting pitchers in 2020 the rest of the rotation left much to be to desired. It left much to be to desired, and the bullpen struggled mightily, as you alluded to a little bit earlier. Can we expect the Angels to be players for marquee free agents like Trevor Bauer or Masahiro Tanaka? And how do they plan to address their bullpen? I think all of the Angels' resources right now are on the pitching market. They're looking at uh, any kind of any every avenue um, that they can to to find that ace that they need for the rotation and that closer I think that they also need for their bullpen um last you know last week when the Angels traded for Iglesias uh Menagian talked about whether or not he believed that he had a closer already in his organization because you know he the the Angels uh non-tendered contracts to uh, several relievers they basically you know they basically let go of their entire bullpen um in the span of that day and previously when they released Cambage Rosian. Um, so the Angels have a lot of work to do in the bullpen. And he said in, re- in regards to the question about the closer, that it, that's a great question. And he actually prefers to have multiple closers within a bullpen because, as you guys know from watching the playoffs, you know, the best teams that go deeper into the playoffs are the ones that have. So um, I think the Angels are definitely looking at, at shoring that up and making sure that they have as many uh, versatile and valuable pieces in the bullpen that they can, who can be trusted to hold uh, leads when when needed, and also to address that starting rotation, which it, it does have Dylan Bundy, um, and Dylan Bundy showed a lot of progress coming over from from the AL East into the AL West, and uh, they Griffin Canning is obviously a promising young pitcher. Andrew Heaney uh, struggled a bit, uh, but he's still in the games that he was really good. He showed why he he can be trusted at least mid rotation option. So uh, really, all they need is to and, and if they get back Shohei Otani at the, at the levels that we expect Shohei Otani to pitch um, at the major league level, then um, then that that rotation could be formidable. And as long as they have that that front man, and that front man could very well be Trevor Bauer. I think the question there will be whether or not the Angels want to spend money on Trevor Bauer. Um, last year, they had the opportunity to spend money on Garrett Cole, who ended up going to the Yankees for um, a lot of money that the Angels were not willing to to, to offer because um, they were focused on adding Anthony Rendon instead. So now um, it depends on whether or not Bauer wants, how long a contract Bauer wants, how much money Bauer wants, and and uh, whether or not I think also if he's willing to work again with the Angels pitching coach, Mickey Calloway, who I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. 
uh, Mickey Callaway and Bauer worked together in Cleveland, and I'm not completely clear on what that what that relationship was like, but uh, I think that will probably weigh into the decision-making process. Yeah, and you mentioned Shohei Otani in the in his starting rotation before, but what did the Angels see in Shohei Otani going forward, considering he really hasn't hit that well and he hasn't pitched that well uh, as far as the 2020 season goes? So where do they see him uh, you know, in a role of, uh, going forward? Is, is he more of a bat or is he more of a starting uh, rotation guy uh, as they look at him right now? Yeah, I think they're not willing to concede uh, the two-way two-way player Shohei Otani yet. I don't think Otani, obviously, is definitely not willing to concede that because that's what he signed to become. He wants to be a two-way player in the major leagues, and the Angels, for their part, are committed to having that happen. So I think I think they believe him to be a good front-line starter and a good middle-of-the-order bat. So um, I think I think all that, you know, I think Shohei Otani suffered from the same thing the rest of the team suffered from, which was a lack of consistency, a lack of... Uh, uh, consistency in the schedule and in and, and playing time, obviously, and at, towards the end of the season, he even while the Angels were to go after a playoff spot because he was struggling so mightily with the bat. So um, I think that a normal length of a season with a normal spring training for Otani will make will make a world of difference. Well, yeah, and he certainly struggled, uh, not just on the mound. He got the the one the one start and did not perform well. Didn't pitch again, and then he hit like one ninety one. Uh, this past season, really never got his feet on the 2020, um, and, and that just that, that goes with the rest of the of the team. That everybody seemed to struggle in 2020, and it's, it's one of those seasons they're looking to put behind them. Now they have Mike Trout, who is clearly he's the best player in the world right now. Uh, but he's played in all of one postseason series and three postseason games. Do they expect to get back to the playoffs? They have the great manager in Joe Madden. They have Madden. They have the talent uh, in that lineup. They want to get the they want to get the pitching under control here. Do they expect to make it back to the playoffs in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think every team expects to be back in the playoffs. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, I think they definitely. And one thing working to their advantage is that the it's kind of a good time in terms of the the vision as well because you look you've got the Oakland Athletics who. Are you know the Oakland Athletics? They don't really spend a lot of money. They're not a big market team, um, and they've you know just lost a, a significant number of players that are important to them. Um, and the Houston Astros are also kind of turning over a good number of of, uh, of players as well. So it's kind of I wouldn't say it's like you know it's not like ripe for the taking, but it's definitely like a good opportunity for the Angels to kind of to force their way into that conversation because for a long time now. It, it's been the Astros and the and the A's just kind of duking it out for first and second place, but um, with the Angels just out always on the outskirts of that, I think they can actually push themselves to be in the in that conversation now as long as they're able to spend money wisely on the pitching front, um, and as long as you know the the Athletics and the Astros uh, kind of regress a little bit, I think I think you might see a little bit of that um, at least from the from Houston Houston side because uh, well they won't have they won't have Justin Verlander next year. That's um, true. If I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he had um, Tommy and, John surgery pretty late correct. in the year, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they also have a their farm system isn't as strong as it has been in years past. It's, it's been a little bit depleted. So um, now is a good time for the Angels to really make their stand and and push in. 
to that conversation. Oh well, yeah, they they certainly have the talent on their team to be better than they finish, to be better than fourth place in the division. Um, I look at Mike Trout. He's an all-around player. He led the American League in steals his rookie year. He's stolen over 20 bases five times in his career. But the last two seasons, he has 12 stolen bases combined. Are they telling him not to run as much? Is he getting older and wants to keep himself healthy and not run as much? Or is it just something that he just hasn't done the last two years? I think it's something that he hasn't done. I don't think it's a matter of keeping him healthy. I think part of it's probably philosophical. Um, I'd imagine that, you know, in a more normal season, you'll probably see Trout go for more stolen bases, but I really do think it all just depends on, like, the, the pieces around him in that lineup. And really, in the lineup that he's in, I mean, he has people around him that can drive him in. Uh, the last few years, it's been Otani behind him and, and Upton when he's, when, when Upton is right, like, he can, he can also drive Trout into the, uh, Trout in. And so, you know, I, I think, I think, I mean, a lot of it will probably have to do with uh, philosophy, um, you know, whether or not the Angels want to be as aggressive on the base paths as they maybe had been in, you know, at the beginning of his career. A lot of that will dictate, um, you know, what he re- when he returns to that form. But, I mean, as far as, like, you know, his his uh, his tools, like, he's still, he's still as fast as he's ever been, um, and he's just stronger now than he was then. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine he doesn't have the ability to steal those 20 bases again. I just think that he'll, he'll just need to get the green light more. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you there, especially he's only 28 years old. It's not one of those things where you just become slower at 20. I think he still has all the mm-hmm. tools to, to do that. Um, now, before we let you go, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the prospects that the Orioles got back in that Jose Iglesias trade. Um, now, we know that the Angels struggle with their pitching, and yet they traded away two pitchers to the Orioles, one being uh, Gene Pinto. Is it Gene or Jean? Do you know the pr- correct pronunciation on his first name? I, I don't. I'm, I'm going to go with Gene. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's Gene. Just for the sake of the conversation. Uh, so Gene Pinto and they, uh, Garrett Stallings. Gene Pinto, 19 years old, pitched in the Dominic- Dominican Summer League, struck out 19 batters in 12 innings. Garrett Stallings was a fifth-round pick in 2019 who the Orioles had their eyes on, has not pitched professionally yet. What can you tell us about these two guys and why the Angels were so willing to part with them? Um, I, I can't tell you much about Pinto because I've never seen him pitch. Uh, he hasn't pitched stateside yet, and he only pitched very briefly in the Dominican Summer League after he signed. So um, there's not much known about him and as far as Garrett Stallings is concerned. Uh, he did pitch for the Angels in their, uh, at their training camp or at their um, – you know, but in their player pool, um, so you know he—he's just someone who uh, he—he's kind of. I think people believe him to be more likely of a like a back end, back of the rotation type of starter. But he could move fast. Um, he has the command and he has the advanced feel. He has like for pitching, and um, he—it it seems like he was on track to start in Double A next season, um, assuming that there is a minor league season that's normal. Um, so that, that obviously once you're in double a, that means you're on the major league depth chart. Um, so he could, he could move pretty quickly. Um, he, I'm looking at a scouting report right now. Um, his, his fastball is kind of low nineties. Uh, it doesn't overpower, but it is, but a little bit. And, um, he also has a, a sharp slider and it's about mid eighties. Um, there was a good change up. Uh, he has a, a repeatable delivery, um, so that's always these are always like good things to hear and about about prospects. So I think he's someone that could potentially 
move pretty quickly um, within the Orioles system. Well, yeah, he was ranked 21st um, for the Angels, 26th for the Orioles now. So that's somebody that they could probably see as a fourth or fifth starter in the future for them. So nice to know that he could move quickly um, and that the Orioles got something for Jose Iglesias, who's probably been been traded at the deadline anyway. So, Maria, we really appreciate you uh, joining our program today to talk about the Angels. I'm always interested to know um, how the Angels are doing because I love Mike Trout. I love An- <laughs> I, I wanted Anthony Rendon in the draft, the same draft that the Orioles took um, I believe it was Manny Machado. I wanted mm-hmm. Rendon, uh, but he broke his ankle and fell in the draft. So I'm always interested okay. in those guys doing well. Um, thank you so much for joining our program, and hopefully the Angels give you a good season report on this year. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Have a great weekend. Take care. Thanks. Take care. And that was Maria Torres, who covers, who is a beat writer for the Angels for the LA Times. Uh, it wouldn't have been this Saturday show without some technical difficulties in the middle of that interview, too, as we um, had the call kind of breaking up a little bit right in the middle of the interview. But uh, she hung with us. We hung with her, and it ended up being a pretty pretty solid interview. So uh, we're going to get our final break of the program. When we come back, we're going to close things out and talk a little bit about the Ravens and if they even have a shot at the playoffs anymore. All that and more when we return with the bat around. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC-approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zalis, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zalis, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. 
Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. The end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run. With Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round. We're here to close things out for you here on a Saturday morning in December, December 5th to be exact. Uh, not not our greatest of shows. Through no fault of mine and Zach's own, um, the technical difficulties with the internet and with the the breaking up of the phone call with uh, Maria there, but we, we powered through and... They can't all be Emmy award-winning shows, so we're gonna we're gonna get back here next week, and hopefully all the technical issues will be uh, figured out, and we'll be able to have a more fluid show. But thanks for sticking with us while we stuck through everything. Um, I just want to remind you that since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown teams and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach's modeling beautifully over there, plus a celebrate eight purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. Now, these are decorative masks they're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash mask. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Zach, you can take the mask off because I just remembered that your, your screen has been frozen since the first half of the show because of these technical difficulties. So... Zach was wearing the mask as he does every week. It looked great on just, him. Just in case the video came back. Just in case. And it matches his Ravens hoodie. So uh, he, he he modeled it beautifully here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Also, if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with Pro- Pressbox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined postgame by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and postgame at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. Glenn and Rita will be with you for Tuesday night's Baltimore-Dallas battle. That's Pressbox's Project Game Day every game day this season. Brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. Zach, the Ravens played a game on Tuesday. I'm sorry, on Wednesday. 
They were supposed to be played on Tuesday. They were supposed to be played on Sunday. They were supposed to be played on Thursday. They lost 19-14. But they, they fought the Steelers tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. RG3, 7 of 12, 33 yards. Trace McSorley comes in 7 of 6. 2 7 of 6. 2 of 6, 77 yards and a touchdown pass. Um, offense was worse than I thought it was going to be. They didn't trust RG3 to throw the ball. Robert Griffin, I'm sorry. They didn't trust Robert Griffin Hard to, to, watch. to throw the ball down the field very much. And when he did, Dez has fallen over. Uh, Hollywood's given a uh, lackluster effort to catch a ball that he could have called on a layout, um, or he's getting crushed in the chest as soon as he's letting go of the football. So, not a great game, but the Ravens gave the Steelers all they could handle with basically their third-string team playing the football game. Were you what, what were your expectations going into that game, and how did you feel after? Well, I predicted the score last week as 27-17, and it actually went a lot better than that. I mean, I, it was only a five-point loss, and that's just about what they lost to the first time they played when everyone was healthy. So, you know, I'm not too upset about that loss. I expected it. It was one I already had, you know, kind of written down coming into this game that it was going to be a loss. And I was pretty proud of the Ravens, that the, the way they fought. I thought they played a great game overall for, for what they've got. I mean, they really had nothing. They had 16 starters out, and it's almost impossible to beat an 11-0 or 10-0 team at that time. Uh, with, with 16 starters out and your MVP quarterback out. Um, you know, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, the Ravens are, are faking this. They don't want to play the Steelers. That's ridiculous. Some awful comments by, by Steelers fans who have no empathy for what the Ravens were going through. But they came out and they still played hard. Uh, Marcus Peters talked his trash and played a great game. And, you know, it, overall, I saw some good individual performances. Um, but I think it's also one that you can kind of come together as a team and say, okay, we're going to come into, you know, next week's game against Dallas and just, you know, try to go on a winning streak now. Well, absolutely. And they, the Ravens don't need to win out to make the playoffs. But it would be in their best interest if they did win out, in my opinion. Just get hot and get into the playoffs. Uh, and, like, look, they aren't going to be able to rest their starters at any point the rest of the year, which is probably a good thing. But it's also they just rested their starters because most of their starters did not play um, for two weeks. So uh, Lamar is due back at practice tomorrow uh, when he comes off the COVID list, and he's going to have the walkthrough on Monday. I expect him to start. On Tuesday, I expect to see a lot of Ingram, a lot of Dobbins. Um, I hope the Hollywood, after catching, I hope the Hollywood after catching that seventy-yard touchdown, um, has a little bit of confidence. Look, it, McSorley hit him on a running throw. He was wide open. He ran down, made a couple of moves, and got into the end zone. So I am hopeful that that gave him some confidence that he can he can make plays in the NFL. Um, Des. I expect to see him get more targets. I really feel like Dez is going to be a, a, a big sticking point for this offense for the rest of the season, and it needs to be. The defense proved what it's done all year. The defense was mostly healthy, ex- aside from Campbell and... Um, and uh, Brandon Williams. Brandon, thank you. Um, but just, just today. You know, today. Um, and I expect to see maybe Brandon Williams back this week, maybe Clay's Campbell back next week. Um, so that, that defense is really showing out. And against Dallas, look, I'm scared of Dallas because they're still in the running for their division. Andy Dalton isn't a scrub. Now, look, he's kind of the Andy Dalton I always thought he was. But look at the look at the talent he has around him in uh, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott. They have talent on offense. Now, so do the Steelers, and the Ravens shut them down. So, I'm I, 
the Cowboys have something to play for. They have something to fight for. So I don't think that this is a surefire win like a lot of people seem to think it is. But if Lamar plays and Dobbins plays and the defense gets defense gets and stays healthy, I think it's a game that they should win. This week I'm going Ravens 27, Cowboys 19. Yeah, I, I think the Ravens peaked at the wrong time in the 2019 season, and let's just hope they peak at the right time this year, which would be you know these last five games they can go on a run. Um, I do think Dallas will be a good offense. They're they're a formidable offense. They don't have Dak Prescott, who really is a difference maker for them, and Andy Dalton, just kind of an average quarterback. But the Ravens know his tendencies. They've played him a lot over the years. Um, you know, I, I think the Cowboys are going to try to run it down their throats. Zeke, you know, he's he's got a lot of power. He can break tackles, and without Campbell, without Will Williams, if none of them play, it might be a little bit of a struggle to stop the run. I do trust the secondary to stop uh, Andy Dalton's passing game, though. So I do think the Ravens will win this game. I think the defense will keep them in this game inevitably. Um, I, I think the Ravens aren't going to score that many points, and that's because they're just they just don't have the all the offensive starters still. The offensive line is still a little bit injured. I'm just going to go twenty to seven, Ravens. 20-7, to seven, Ravens. Wow, you're not giving that, that Cowboys offense much credit I'm not. for scoring any points. I think they're going to score more just because Lamar's back, and I think he knows what has to be done to get this season um, where they to go to get where they want to go this season. Um, but it's hard to have confidence with this team. I think that they have the talent. I know they have the talent and the ability to win out and go on a serious run here, but they've lost four or five games, and you, you can't. But then... In 2000, they lost three of five games in which they didn't score a touchdown in any of those five games. And then in 2012, they were 9-2. and two. A lot of people forget they were 9-2, and two, and then they lost four or five to end the season. So maybe this bodes well for the Ravens, maybe get into another Super Bowl. Too early to talk about that. we got to get out of here. Um, but when uh, we talk to you next week, hopefully we're going to have some less technical difficulties. Until then, everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.